One of my favorite ways to invest is real estate, but not everyone wants to handle tenants and toilets. Enter Fundrise. They make it easy to invest in real estate with their flagship fund. Now, as always, you always have to carefully consider the investment objectives and risks of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. But right now, demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. And the Fundrise flagship fund plans on going on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with just as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash PFP. As always, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash PFP. That's fundrise.com slash PFP. This is a paid advertisement. When I had my first child, I wanted peace of mind, which is why I use Policy Genius to get term life insurance. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. And some options are 100% online and let you avoid unnecessary medical exams. The process was so simple. I filled out some information, I compared rates, and I spoke to their award-winning agents all in a matter of minutes. And your work life insurance policy may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And the worst part is it may not go with you if you leave your job. Policy Genius has no incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. And you can go get peace of mind by finding the right life insurance with Policy Genius. So head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes to see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, founder of mastermoney.co, and today on the Personal Finance Podcast, we're gonna have another money Q&A. If you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram or TikTok at Master Money Co. and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you love listening to this podcast to. And if you want to help out the show, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well at Master Money on YouTube. Today, we have three great questions for money Q&A. The first one is about should you have multiple IRA accounts and is there benefits to having multiple IRA accounts? The second one is talking about when should you ask for credit line increases to help lower your credit utilization? And then the third one is how do I prepare for a recession? A ton of great stuff in this episode today. So if that's something you're into, let's get into it. Is there a benefit to having more than one IRA and Roth IRA? And does the limit still apply? So I am first going to give you the short answer to this question because I want to get right to the point. There's no limit to the number of IRA accounts that you have, but your contribution limits must stay within the limits across all the accounts. So what this means is if you have multiple IRAs, say you have an IRA and a Roth IRA, you must stay within those limits, within those two accounts, because you can't go over how much you can contribute each and every single year. Now, first I wanna get into when you really should have multiple IRAs, and that's when you are married. So if you're married, you and your spouse should each have either a Roth IRA or an IRA because you get the double tax benefits by doing that. You get the benefits of being able to max out two accounts instead of one. 
So if you only have one Roth IRA and you're maxing out the Roth IRA and then jump into the 401k, I would open one for your spouse or your significant other as well so that you both can be contributing and maxing that out as well. Because you go from having, say, for example, if you have a Roth IRA, you go from being able to put $6,000 a year into a Roth IRA into $12,000 a year into a Roth IRA. So that is why I love having two accounts. Now, having multiple IRAs within your personal situation, within your personal ecosystem, can be just more complex. It's not as simplified as just having one IRA. Say you have a Roth IRA or an IRA. It's much more simple to just have one. But there are a few reasons why you would want to have two. And the first one is if you want the tax benefits of both. So they work very differently. A Roth IRA, you put the money in, and that money has been taxed. And then the money grows tax-free, and then you can pull the money out tax-free. Where the IRA is the opposite. It's just like a 401k, where the money goes in, and it's not taxed. And then the money grows, and then when you pull the money out, you get taxed on the money at that time. Now, if you want to diversify your tax strategy, that may be a reason to put money in either or. But see, the limits on these accounts make it where I'd rather you prioritize one over the other if you're doing it for that reason. So the first one is you get tax diversification. The second one is that you may wanna utilize different strategies. So maybe you wanna be a dividend investor and you wanna buy index funds. Well, you can use two different strategies in two different accounts when you do that. You can also use it in the same account, but if you wanna keep them separated, that may be another reason why you would want to diversify into two different IRA accounts. Now, I would do them personally in the same account, but some people like to just separate it out. So if that's you, you like to separate stuff out like that, then go ahead and do it that way. Another reason is that because both these accounts have different withdrawal options. So if you wanna diversify your withdrawal options when you hit retirement age, then maybe you'd be interested in doing both. A Roth IRA allows you to withdraw the contributions at any time without penalty. Now this is the contributions. It's not the money that has grown inside the account. So if you contribute money to a Roth IRA, you can actually pull that money out. Now we talk about this all the time. You don't wanna interrupt compound interest unnecessarily. So this is a dire need if you need to pull money out of your Roth IRA. You want that money to be able to grow, you wanna be able to compound. You don't wanna interrupt it. But you do have that option if something in your life happens where you really need to get that money out. Whereas traditional IRAs don't work that same way. But traditional IRAs do require you to start taking money out with RMDs. And these minimum distributions are things where you're going to have to start taking money out of those IRAs at a certain age. Right now, at the time of recording this, it's at age 72. So these are two things to consider as well is the withdrawal options if you want to diversify those two options. Now, another reason, and this is one of the biggest reasons to have this, is if you want to do a backdoor Roth IRA. Because if you want to do a backdoor Roth IRA, you need to have both accounts to be able to do this. You need to have an IRA, and you need to have a Roth IRA. And what you do is if you make too much money, you put money into an IRA, which has no income limits, and then convert that money to a Roth IRA. And that's how you can get money into a Roth IRA if you're over the income limits. See, a Roth IRA has income limits where you can't make too much money. You can't have too much income. Otherwise, you can't put money into a Roth IRA. And it changes every single year. I'll link up down below so you can check out what those income limits are. So those are some of the pros to having multiple IRA accounts, but there's also some drawbacks. Some of the drawbacks are, number one, it's complex. There's more complexity when you have multiple IRA accounts. Number two is fees. If your accounts have fees in them, and we want you to avoid fees at all costs, so try to avoid fees at all costs, but if your accounts do have fees in them, then you may have multiple accounts charging you different fees as well. Those are the two major drawbacks. So if you want a simplified financial life, then just have one. But if you need to do a backdoor Roth IRA or you have a spouse and you want to do multiple IRAs, then that is something 
where those are great situations to have multiple IRAs. And we talked about some of the other pros as well. So it depends on your certain situation, but there's pros and cons to it. But if you wanna just simplify your life, then just maintain one for the time being. When should I ask for a credit line increase? I really want to lower my credit utilization. So if you don't know what credit utilization is, it makes up 30% of your credit score. And the lower this number is, the better. And it is a major factor when it comes to your credit score. So making sure you keep that credit utilization low is very, very important. So the way credit utilization works is say, for example, you have a $10,000 credit card limit and you spend $1,000 a month on that credit card, then you pay that off every single month. Well, if you spend $1,000 on that credit card, then you're utilizing 10% of your credit utilization. Now, the cool thing about credit utilization is it works across all credit lines. So say you have 10 credit cards with that $10,000 credit utilization, you only spend $1,000 a month. Well, that means you're only using 1% of your credit utilization, even if you only utilize that one card. So thinking through this, you wanna keep that number as low as possible. And a study was done with people with credit scores above 800 kept their credit utilization below 6%. Now there's a number of strategies of how you can do this, how you can lower that credit utilization number. One is to ask for credit line increases. Another one is to make sure that you're paying off your card frequently. Now I pay off my card weekly. The reason why I do it is because I want to stay on top of my bills, but it also can help with your credit utilization if you do it the right way. Now, typically when you want a credit line increase, meaning you want an increase in the amount of money that you can spend on a credit card and you have a new card, you need to take a little bit of time before you ask for that credit line increase. Banks aren't just going to give you a credit line increase right away because the amount they gave you is based on your credit score, your credit history, a bunch of other factors. So what you wanna do is wait at least six months before you ask for that credit increase. Now, I've talked to a number of people who work for credit card companies, and they all say at least at six months is when they'll start to look at it to increase that credit limit. Waiting till at least six months when you own the card is when I would definitely look at doing that. Now, why does doing this lower your credit utilization? Well, if you think about it, say for example, the first example, the $10,000 limit and you spend $1,000 a month on that card. Well, if that limit jumps to $20,000 and you spend $1,000 a month on that card, then your credit utilization went from 10% down to 5%. So increasing your credit limit is going to lower your credit utilization. That's why somebody would want to do this. And this is going to increase your credit score. So the lower your credit utilization percentage, the better off it is for your credit score. And since this is 30%, this is one of the major factors between this and paying your bills on time are the two biggest factors that you should be focusing on if you wanna increase your credit score. Now there's a number of other factors as well like your credit history and some other factors that we've talked about on the podcast and the YouTube channel as well. So if you haven't seen those episodes, we'll link them down below. But this is a great way to lower your credit utilization rate specifically if you wanna increase your credit score. The key to winning in any business is making sure you have the right business partner. An example is Procter & Gamble or Ben & Jerry. But what about the perfect partners when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. 
And most people know one of your biggest struggles when it comes to starting an online business is finding new customers and Shopify can help you do that. And what I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PFP, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash PFP now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash PFP. Last year, I was not tracking my finances like I should. And truthfully, it's because I had not found an easy way to automate that process. Then I found a tool called Monarch Money, which changed that for me because it made it so incredibly easy. I synced my accounts and in one click, it created a budget for me based on my past spending habits. And Monarch is a top rated all in one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get a 30 day extended free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. And Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product. And they have tools that allow you to seamlessly collaborate with your partner. And after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash PFP. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash PFP for your extended 30-day free trial. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. And if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And they have a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. So ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers Agree, Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash personal finance. Just go to Indeed.com slash personal finance right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash personal finance. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some of my favorite memories over summer is going on vacation with the family, but summer fun can get expensive. And when you have financial goals, you need to decide what's worth it and what you value. And a Chime checking account can help you reach your financial goals while still enjoying summer. So take back your finances with features like SpotMe, which is a no fee overdraft protection, or you can get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. And you can learn more at chime.com slash PFP. They have no monthly fees or maintenance fees and over 60,000 fee-free ATMs. So live it up this summer and make progress towards your financial goals with Chime. And you can open your account in minutes at chime.com slash PFP. That's chime.com slash PFP. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bank Corp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Boosts are available to eligible Chime members enrolled in SpotMe and are subject to monthly limits. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. How do I prepare for a recession? So this is a major question that we're getting a lot right now because the market is moving all over the place and people are starting to get a little bit nervous. Now, I've got a news flash for you. 
There is always a recession coming. Recessions are very normal things when it comes to the economy and when it comes to the stock market. You need to always expect that there is a recession coming. Now, historically, recessions have come every 10 to 12 years. We've gone through a very long period of time where we haven't had a recession in a while. We've had pullbacks, we've had drawbacks, but we haven't had a full-on recession in a pretty long time. Now, the thing to understand is, a lot of people are gonna tell you they know when a recession is coming. And here's a news flash for you. Nobody knows when a recession is coming. Unless somebody has a crystal ball, which you don't have a crystal ball, I don't have a crystal ball, nobody out there has a crystal ball, then they don't know when a recession is coming. And one of our earliest episodes on the podcast was all about this subject, on how there is a recession coming. We talked about the cycles and the different things that you go through when there's recessions. But there have been 13 recessions since World War II. It's a very normal thing that happens. There was one in 1945, 1948, 1953, 1957, 1960, 1969, 1973, 1980, 1981, 1990, 2001, 2007, and 2020. So the 2021 was the one due to the pandemic and it only lasted two months. So that was actually the shortest recession that we've ever had. The longest recession that we've ever had was actually the Great Recession in 2007. So a lot of these recessions, if you look at them, they last less than a year. But you always wanna be prepared for these because what happens during recessions, a lot of things. It's a sad time for a lot of people because a lot of people lose jobs, a lot of businesses go out of business, but a lot of big companies come out of recessions. The reason why is people might get laid off, they start their own business, figure out what they need to do next. And in dire times, people are forced to figure something out. So a lot of times recessions actually develop larger companies because people start startups and those startups do well over time and that's how that kind of works out. The Personal Finance Podcast was started during the pandemic because we had a little extra time on our hand, we wanted to help people out and that's how that actually started. But you can still prepare for a recession because a recession is always coming. Just like we talked about having an emergency fund, you always need an emergency fund because something in life is going to happen. You can do the same thing. A recession is always coming. When? I don't know. Nobody knows. Don't listen to anybody who tells you they know. But a recession is coming. So the first thing you wanna do is start to beef up your emergency fund. If you're fearful that a recession is coming, it's gonna help your mental capacity, it's gonna help your stress and anxiety if you just beef up that emergency fund. Now you have a little extra cash on hand just in case anything happens. Now how much do you want in that emergency fund? Well in the event of a job loss, you wanna make sure you have enough to cover you until you can find another job. Now if you look at the historically how long these recessions are, if they're less than a year typically, you can go to six, seven, eight months of cash and you'll have enough cash to be able to find another job. Now, if you're in a job where there is a very high demand, maybe you're in IT or you're a project manager or something along those lines, then you can have a smaller emergency fund if you feel comfortable with it. Now, if you're not comfortable with it, then I wouldn't do that. But if you are comfortable with it, then you can have a smaller emergency fund, maybe three, four, five, six months. But if you're worried about it, you're stressed out, make sure you beef up, put a little extra cash in that emergency fund just in case anything happens and you feel like your job will be at risk. Because what this does is it allows you to get yourself by until you find another job. If you have six months expenses, that means you have six months to find a job because you can pay for your bills, you can pay your mortgage or your rent, you can pay all your bills and make sure you're still on track while you go out and find another job because you lost an income.
Now, where should you put this emergency fund? Typically, you want to put it in a high-yield savings account. The reason why we talk about this is because if a recession happens and you have those dollars invested, typically the market will pull back 30, 40, 50%, and you don't want your emergency fund cut in half at the time that you need it most. Yes, it's not the most optimal place to put it. It's not the best place to put it where your cash is going to grow. And with inflation, you're losing a certain percentage every single year. We know that. But this is a safety net. This is to help you stay safe in financial need. That's why we always talk about putting it in a high-yield savings account. The second thing, if you want to prepare for a recession, is you want to reduce your debt so you don't have those extra payments lingering around. So reducing your debt, paying off specifically high interest debt should always be paid off fast. But if you have lower interest debt, you want to get rid of it. Maybe you have a couple car loans that are 3%. Maybe you have a personal loan that's 4%. Maybe you have a home equity line that's 4%. You want to start to get rid of some of those so that you don't have additional payments and then you can keep some extra cash on the side. Because the more debt liability you have, the higher risk your finances are. So Making sure that you get rid of some of those debts, if you're worried about a recession, will help you mentally. And when the recession comes along, it'll be much better for you in the long term. The next thing is make sure you're working on your credit score if you have bad credit or you're increasing your credit score so that you can get a loan at any time. Because this doesn't only help you during a recession when you make no money, but having a good credit score helps you get a loan at any time no matter what is going on. See, During a recession, things go on sale like real estate. And if you want to borrow in real estate, you have to have a really good credit score because banks start to get a little shaky and a little scared during recessions to lend out as much money. They don't lend as much money as they typically do, but they will lend money if you have a really strong financial history and a really strong credit score. So you want to make sure that you're working on that credit score, solidifying at least something over a 700 so that you can get into play when you need to. Maybe you need to borrow money because you lost a job and it's taking you longer to find a job or you want to borrow money because you want to buy more assets. Those are the two reasons why you'd want to increase that credit score as well. The next one along those same lines is get ready to buy more stocks and real estate because everything is going to be on sale. See, what a lot of people do is they do the opposite. They start to panic. There have been a lot of pullbacks as of late and I'm getting a lot of messages of people saying, maybe I shouldn't be investing right now. Listen to me. When the market goes down, this is a better time to invest. Warren Buffett said it best. Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. The reason why is stocks are on sale. Real estate is on sale because you're buying into these assets at a lower price. Now, this is something that takes time to train your mind. I know how it is. It's scary when you see your portfolio drop 50%. It's not something that's fun to do, especially if you look at your portfolio a lot. So a tip I can give you is look at your portfolio less and understand and train your mind to understand. Now is the time to do this, is to work on your money psychology. Train your mind to understand that this is very normal. And historically, if you look at a stock market chart, historically, it's gone in one direction. If you look at the very long term, it's gone in one direction. It's gone up. Now, for the S&P 500, the stock market, not to go up over a very long period of time, what that would mean is the U.S. economy is in disrepair. So if you believe long-term in the U.S. economy, meaning the companies that develop things like Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Google, all of these powerful companies are from the United States of America. So if you believe in the United States of America and their economy in the long run, Look at the companies that are in the United States. Look how much international exposure they have, how well diversified they have. Look at the innovation that they have and think through this for a second. Do you think the U.S. economy is going to be better off in the long run? Potentially, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it doesn't have a surge that it's had for the long run if you're a little bit more bearish on that. 
But for most people, they're going to understand, look at the companies that are inside the United States, look at how much impact they have internationally, and you can understand that typically a lot of these companies are going to do well. The same thing goes for real estate. A lot of real estate investors made millions and millions, if not billions of dollars during the last recession, because when the prices go down, you can get into these rental properties at a much cheaper price. And then once rents start to climb back up again, then you've gotten into these properties at a much cheaper price and you're making two to 3% per month on your rental property and rents. So think through this a little bit, have a little extra cash on hand if you want to, so that you can buy into some of these when you're ready, specifically if you're looking at real estate. I don't believe in holding cash on the sidelines when you're in the stock market, but if you're going into real estate and you wanna have a little additional cash so you can buy some of these properties at lower prices, then more power to you. But the thing is, you don't know when a recession's gonna happen. I don't know when a recession's gonna happen. Nobody knows when a recession's gonna happen, so don't try to predict that. Now, one thing that I want to know is that you should not be foregoing your financial plan just because you think a recession is coming. That's what I'm talking about. Don't have your cash just sitting on the sidelines for no reason because you think a recession's coming. You need to stick to your investment plan. If you're gonna invest 25 to 30% of your income every single month, you need to stick to that. If you're trying to invest 50% of your income every single month, you need to stick to that. If you're just starting out and you wanna invest 10% of your income every single month, you need to stick to that through thick, and then there have been so many times that I thought there was going to be a recession coming 2014, 2015, 2016. And imagine if I stopped my investment plan during those times, during these major booms. This is something that is very hard to predict. So Peter Lynch, one of the best investors of all time, said it best. Far more money has been lost by investors preparing for corrections or trying to anticipate corrections than has been lost in corrections themselves. Meaning a lot more money has been lost by just not investing your dollars and sticking to your plans and sitting on the sidelines because an economic boom is happening and that you're not making those gains on those dollars. See, to really get these 10% returns that we always talk about, you have to keep your money invested. If you start to pull your money out, there are very few times where if you pull your money out on certain dates, then that 10% return is gonna go down to seven, six, five percent over the lifetime of your career. Now, there's a very big difference in your investing career if you do that. If you pull that money out during that time and you only get five, six, seven percent, you're looking at potential millions of dollars that you're losing out on just because you took your money out because we're waiting for a recession. So make sure you stay invested, keep those dollars invested. It's incredibly important to do this and stick to your investment plan. That is why we write out our investment plan, we have it in place and we review it all the time so that you understand why you're doing this. There's a reason why you're doing this and you wanna stick to that investment plan. Don't think about recessions. If you wanna have a little cash on the sidelines because you wanna buy real estate, fine, but don't keep cash out or don't start selling your assets because you think a recession is coming. Trying to predict recessions is counterproductive. But if you understand what we're talking about on this podcast, then you're gonna understand that trying to predict a recession is just a complete waste of time. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Money Q&A. If you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram or TikTok at Master Money Co. And we will take those questions and answer them here on the podcast. Thank you guys again so much for listening. We will see you on the next episode. 